Welcome to this week's edition of the Pete Mazzetti Show. I'm your host, Pete Mazzetti. My guest this evening is Eric Hammerling, who's the Executive Director of the Connecticut Forest and Park Association. Mr. Hammerling, welcome, sir. How are you, bud? I'm doing great. Great to see you. You too. You too. Usually, you and I see each other through Zoom. I know. This but is it's, so strange. It's like so I can reach out and literally like it's, touch you. It's strange to see you in person. How have you been? Good. What's good? Up? Busy. Oh my God. Uh, there are so many exciting things happening with forest parks and trails. Um, uh, we're very busy as an organization and as the executive director, that keeps me pretty busy too. Exactly. Now, tell us a little bit about the Forest and Park Association, exactly what you guys do. Sure. Well, the Connecticut Forest and Park Association is actually the oldest nonprofit conservation organization in Connecticut. Okay. Uh, we've now been uh, 126 years uh, focused on protecting special places in Connecticut. And part of the reason that uh, CFPA was first established mm -hmm. was actually uh, that was a time in 1895 before there were state parks or state forests. Right. And our original mission was to try to establish those places for the state. So um, I, I would say to many people, you're welcome. Yeah, uh, because you now go. we've got 110 state parks in Connecticut, uh, another 32 uh, state forests, and uh, almost uh, you know, 300,000 acres of public land for all of us to enjoy. Absolutely. absolutely. So that's, been, that's where we came from. And then, okay. of course, what we're best known for today mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, in addition to, of course, the brilliant work that we do uh, at the Capitol as an right. advocate for forest parks and trails, mm -hmm. um, is being the organization responsible for 825 plus miles of blue blazed hiking trails okay. all around the state. And those are all maintained by volunteers of our organization. Now what is, what is the blue blazed hiking trail? So a blue blazed hiking trail means that there is, uh, if you're walking on a trail and you see a tree that has a rectangular paint on it. Okay. Uh, it's a light blue color and actually that color was um, uh, discovered uh, for the use of trails in 1929 when uh, some tests were done. Uh, they uh, painted a bunch of logs with different colors and okay. they um, were, I'm sure, drinking a few beverages, uh, waiting late into the <laughs> to the night, and they saw that the light blue blaze right. was the one that was easiest to see latest at night. So right. that became the blaze, okay. uh, the painted blaze, on all of the now blue blazed hiking trails. Cool, very cool. I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know that. I, it's amazing all the things you learn. It, it is, it is. <laughs> now you were telling me before we started taping tonight, a very interesting fact about Rocky Neck State Park. Yeah, well, uh, since, you know, and actually it's just uh, right along the lines of what, what we were talking about, um, our, the mission of the organization right. was to protect special places to become state parks and state forests. Mm -hmm. um, and Rocky Neck, now known as, you know, one of our premier uh, state park uh, beaches, right didn't used to be that. In fact, it used to be an area that was seen much more as a you know, mosquito um, wet wasteland. Mm -hmm. uh, and it took some people with vision to say, you know what, this could be a place where people recreate and have access to Long Island Sound. Right. Um, so it was actually some board members of the Connecticut Forest and Park Association who got together when they uh, heard that um, the former um, fish um, uh, 
cannery okay. that was at Rocky Neck was up for sale. They put together the money uh, between them. It was only about $20,000. Amazing okay. what $20,000 could buy uh, back yeah. then. Um, and they put together the money to actually acquire Rocky Neck and then um, convinced the state to take Rocky Neck on as a state park. Really? Very cool, very cool. Now during the pandemic, how, how are things going with the State Forest and Park Association? Well, you know, we are, have been as busy as ever because as you know, um, over the last, you know, year and a half, so many indoor activities were closed down, right. but the outdoors never closed. No. And in fact, uh, one of the respites that people had from all the anxiety and stress um, of you know being indoors and you know worrying about the pandemic was actually to get outside. So right. people were getting outdoors on trails uh, in record numbers. In fact, uh, over this last year, you know there were in many places you know trail use was up by over fifty percent okay. over previous years. Uh, in terms of visitation to state parks and forests, similarly right. um, visitation way up uh, over the last year. And to be able to ensure that those parks and forests and trails were, you know, safe for people to use, mm -hmm. um, took a lot of time uh, and energy and money uh, to make sure that that was the case. So, okay. um, our volunteers were heroic because, as you as you um, remember, and certainly as a volunteer yourself, absolutely. Pete, um, uh, you know that volunteers were on the front lines, yeah. you know, literally uh, at times, you know, putting themselves potentially in harm's way, right. being outdoors, working on trails, doing tough work after storms, like after storm Isaias, mm -hmm. there was a lot of damage that needed to oh, be, yeah. um, you know, opened up again. So volunteers w were heroic, um, and we just can't say enough about what, what they did. No, absolutely not, absolutely not. And especially being on the shoreline, we have a couple very cool state parks on in the, in the area that I tape in and I live in, and it's very, very, very cool. Yeah, well, in fact, the most visited of all of the state parks mm -hmm. are those on the shoreline. So really? like Hammonasset right. is the yeah. most visited state park. Um, over two million people a year come wow. to visit Hammonasset. And, you know, and if you think about um, some, uh, some other recreation areas that are around buildings, like mm -hmm. how many people go to Mystic Aquarium, or right. they, they actually kind of pale in comparison to all the people who are getting to parks. Really? Um, and one of the neat things about parks these days too, and as you know, since uh, 2018, mm -hmm. there's been a program called the Passport to the Parks. Right. And that program ensures that um, if you have a Connecticut license plate on your car, mm -hmm. you no longer have to pay a fee at gates right. uh, to the park to get in. Uh, if you're from out of, uh, outside of Connecticut, right. uh, you still have to pay. Uh, but all residents get in without having to pay at the, at the gates, and that has been, that's really opened up access to so many people that may have in the past Absolutely. not been able to um, be willing, to, uh, interested or willing to shell out the, it used to be $13 yeah. uh, to get in just one time um, to Hammonasset or any of the sh other shoreline parks mm -hmm. to get in for free um, right. has really made a huge difference. We've also found that some of the behavior of people going to parks has changed. So really? 
Uh, whereas when you used to have to pay the $13 at the gate, people would be like, I'm going to get my money's worth and stay all day long. Right. Now that people are able to get in, uh, you know, without having to pay at the gates, they come in, spend a couple hours, I've had fun, I can go somewhere else now. What that actually right. allows is more people to exactly. come into the park. The turnover. You, the turnover is now there, and um, you know they've really documented that well. More people are able to get to parks. Yeah. Even parks that close when the parking lot fills up, mm -hmm. um, they allow people now to, uh, if they park in a legal parking spot, right. uh, walk in to right. the park. Yeah. Um, and th so there are just many more ways to access the parks than ever before, and that's exciting. But we need to, as a state, as Connecticut, as r residents who care about these special places, right. we have to ensure they're well cared for. So that's what the Passport to the Parks program helps to do. It generates money to help with the operations and maintenance of parks and keeps it safe and open for all of us. Now, as far as what we're, what we're going through during the pandemic, how's the Passport to the Park program? working out so far? It's actually worked out uh, amazingly well because, um, you know, it, people have continued even during the pandemic to register their vehicles and the way that the Passport to the Parks is paid for mm -hmm. is when uh, any of us register our car right. uh, at the Department of Motor Vehicles, we pay an extra $5 a year, Okay, um, which basically is, you know, for $5 a year, that is your passport right. to parks all year long. Exactly. Right? So there's no fee at the gate. You've already paid your $5. Right. But that $5 paid by a lot of people in Connecticut mm -hmm. adds up right. and actually generates about $16 million a year, oh, wow. uh, which is the, you know, the fundamental um, funding right. to ensure that the parks are well maintained. Absolutely. Absolutely. And from what I understand and what I remember, you guys back a little while ago did Trails Day. Yeah, well every every year the you know the first weekend in June right. is Connecticut Trails Day. Mm -hmm. um, and I, as you know, uh, every year Connecticut actually leads the nation in right. the number of Trails Day events that happen here. Um, last year during the pandemic was a little bit of a strange year for all of us. Yeah. Uh, Trails Day last year was a you know, DIY, a do-it-yourself right. event. Right. We said, here are some cool places to go. Go do it. Don't go in a big group. You know, do it safely. Exactly. Um, be outdoors. This year, we were able to actually have uh, events led by leaders once again over 180 events happened that first weekend in June this year. Really? So all around the state, 180 plus events, well attended uh, people. I think it was a beautiful, warm weekend. It was. People got outdoors and um, it was, you know, it, it was outstanding and it felt so good. Just like oh, we're here today in person. Yeah. I, you know, I went to uh, three events over the course of the weekend. Usually I go to four, sometimes right. five. Mm -hmm. um, but at every event, people were just appreciative to be in a group, right. seeing each other in person, and being outdoors in beautiful places with people who care about those places and uh, who make them kind of fun and exciting and accessible. It was just, it was marvelous. I can't say enough about it. Absolutely, absolutely. Not, that's always the first weekend of June, correct? Yep. Yep. Excellent. Yep. So it's uh, June 5th and 6th this year. Uh, you know, next year uh, uh, we're again 
looking forward to you know hopefully having a great great weekend yeah and last time I last time you and I were together for right before the pandemic you guys were celebrating your 125th anniversary. That's right. I know. It seems like yesterday. So you owe me a party. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, we we really, you know, that was one of the, I mean, obviously, there are so many regrets that <laughs> right. we all have during Absolutely. the pandemic, the things we missed out on. Absolutely. But one of the things that we missed out on was, you know, the opportunity to celebrate 125 years of some really extraordinary things. I, you know, I'm so fortunate. I've been at CFPA since uh, May of 2008. Okay. Um, but some of my predecessors did incredible things um, and volunteers did incredible things. So, um, yeah, it's just an honor to be associated with the organization. Speaking of organizations and wonderful people, you and I have to do a quick shout out to the DEP commissioner. Yes. Commissioner Dykes um, has been, you know, I, I, I'd say, um, you know, very few commissioners before her have been so... Um, so involved yeah. with getting outdoors with their families. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, she has some great kids, wonderful husband, and have brought them outdoors to many events and state parks and forests and have really been uh, leaders right. modeling uh, what you're supposed to do as the head of, of DEEP. So, right. yeah, I'm happy to give a shout out. To oh, absolutely. She was here, she was on with me not long ago through Zoom. That was, a, that was actually a fun interview. I, First time I've ever met her. I really like her a lot. Yeah, uh, she's such a smart person, and obviously, she's trying to do things uh, on many different fronts. <laughs> right. But you know, climate change being something that underlines uh, a lot of uh, what we all have to be thinking about. Right. So thinking about parks and forests in the context of climate change, thinking about energy use uh, and responsible use in the context of climate change. Um, Boy, what a challenge that is! Absolutely, um, but we're we're thankful for her leadership. Absolutely. Now, how speaking of leadership, how closely do you guys work with the legislature? You know, this year we weren't able to get very close to the legislature <laughs> right, because, because they were done. closed and everything was done remotely. Mm -hmm. And I've got to say, I. I really was not a fan yeah. of, though of course understood what, what had to be done. Right. In a normal year, we would, you know, we uh, typically um, attend uh, 10 plus public hearings every mm -hmm. year. Our, you know, we have a lobbyist who is at the state house, you right. know, 24 seven um, ensuring that we are connected to important policies for oh, forest absolutely. parks and trails. So we definitely prefer that than yeah, oh, uh, absolutely. what we had to do this year. Absolutely. And how did you how did you guys think the legislative session went this year? You know, it, it, it despite some of the frustrations with not being in the building, right. actually, um, uh, you know, I'd say a, a number of legislators really uh, spoke up and supported strongly state parks. So right. we were happy to see that. Sure. Uh, the Passport to the Parks program uh, survived another legislative session intact. <laughs> okay. Uh, there were some proposals, uh, you know, to try to undermine it in some ways because if there's any sort of uh, funding, it's always potentially a, a victim to, to those types of efforts. But uh, in the state budget, 
uh, for you know 2022-2023 uh, the passport to the parks actually got a little increase in funding okay. Of, okay. Uh, one and a half million dollars all right something that we were you know actively advocating for um, and I think there's an understanding that there is a huge uh, interest in being outdoors in the parks and forests so we need to make sure they're well maintained and the passport is critical to that uh, but there is one thing that uh, you know uh, the legislative session didn't really act on and um, that is going to need to be addressed as part of uh, making sure that our parks are well tended to yeah and it's something that um, you know we hope the Lamont administration will be um, taking action on this right right now uh, you know state parks are not mostly maintained by full-time staff. It's actually mostly seasonal workers who really? just between April and October are focused on doing maintenance and helping to mm -hmm. keep these places safe and open. Oh, sure. Um, but the rate that uh, seasonal workers are being paid has right. been basically capped at $14 an hour for several years. Yeah. So what used to be a fairly generous um, you know rate of support and right. is now not competing with you know uh, pharmacies and mm -hmm. shopping malls exactly. and all sorts of other jobs that uh, you know uh, teenagers and uh, young adults can get right so it's become more and more difficult to attract young people to work in the parks absolutely and that makes it harder to also retain people from one year to the next. Those are the most valuable seasonal workers, not just those who come out once, but those who come back the next year and right. the next year and who really know a place and can get things done. Uh, their hourly rates have been you know, capped at that $14 an hour. And I think they're really having a tough time finding uh, people to maintain state parks. They also have for lifeguards mm -hmm. at state parks right. who, right, if, when you need a lifeguard, uh, yeah. uh, that's a pretty important safety uh -huh. uh, element at, uh, at the shoreline parks. Well, they haven't been able to pay competitive uh, hourly rates too for lifeguards. Right. So municipal uh, park and rec departments mm -hmm. and uh, you know all sorts of others are getting lifeguards before our state parks are getting lifeguards right. I'm just increasingly concerned that we're not keeping up as a right. state and we need to address that so that didn't happen in the legislative session you know hopefully that's something that the governor um, will uh, help to rectify and it's really critical that that he does so that next year um, we're not facing the issue of seasonal workers um, yeah. deciding to take other jobs. We need them to come back. Now, how do you think the governor should rectify that situation? I think they, it, you know, he needs to um, ensure that they're being paid an hourly rate that is competitive. Right. So, you know, whether that's 15 or $16 an hour, the, fortunately, thanks to the passport to the parks, the funding is there to be right. able to do it. It's more a matter of changing the state um, pay structure, okay, um, which I, which can be done. In fact, um, it's critical to do it this year and through next year for for this reason as well. You may know um, next July first, okay, the state employee. Uh, contract mm -hmm. with the state changes. It does. Um, and it changes in a way that um, is encouraging people to retire before 
July 1st of next year. So a lot of people are gonna retire. Right. So if you have a lot of people retiring, it's mm -hmm. gonna take time to replace them and you're not getting seasonal workers right. to wanna come back at a competitive rate. That's like compounding a problem that will make next year even harder right. uh, to operate the park safely. So we wanna see the, the governor take care of this right away. Absolutely, absolutely. I did not know that there were that many people that want are going to retire before July 1st of next year. Yeah, in fact, um, you know, there, there was a, a study that was commissioned by the governor because they've kind of seen this coming uh, for about five years. Okay. You know, this uh, uh, this cliff of retirements that's coming July 1st next year. Mm -hmm. And so the, in the study, they actually identified how many people within the state park and forest and wildlife management area management system are eligible for retirement. And it's a startlingly high figure, about 45% wow. of those people who right now are taking care of parks and forests and wildlife management areas and fisheries um, are eligible to retire before July 1st next year many of those uh, employees are going to take advantage of that um, and again that's why we have to be refilling those positions mm -hmm. um, and ensuring that we have seasonals to support and i'm sure that they if people who are filling those positions have to be certified absolutely yeah and i mean the the state uh, does some strange things in how it uh, rehires people okay so you you are really in for most situations you're not able to advertise a refill of a position until someone has already retired. Really? So what that means is obviously all of the knowledge that someone takes out the door with them when they retire doesn't get passed on um, as easily as it might if there right. was a little bit of overlap between exactly. people retiring and new people coming in. Anyway, this some of this is um, maybe a little bit in the weeds, but it's really important in thinking about if we want parks to be well tended to, we need to have professionals who are trained, ready, able, and experienced to be able to do it. So there's no cross-training between employee, old employee retiring a new new employee coming in coming in not directly there are you know of course there are some people who will uh, be sticking around right. uh, beyond July 1st and you know they'll have a big responsibility of training a whole legion of new people um, and I'm sure there will be some fa fantastic new people who come on board and all that uh, and uh, but it's going to be a pretty disruptive uh, event come July 1st next year. So the, the hope is that things like the seasonal rates will get put in place so that uh, maybe that will be something we can cross off the list and not worry about. Absolutely, absolutely. And now as far as the Forest and Park Association goes for the upcoming year of July First, which is in a, here in a couple of days. What do you get? What do you What are you guys seeing? Well, we're you know, <laughs> we always look forward to July first because July fourth is <laughs> right around the corner, exactly. and that's always uh, the kind of high point of the state park uh, year. Yeah. That's you know when they think about when are more people thinking about parks and getting outdoors than any other time, it's right around the July 4th weekend. Mm -hmm. So this uh, this year, I'm sure if 
this uh, hot spell of weather that we have continues, right. a lot of people are going to be getting to the beach. Oh, it's going to be really busy. I would say to anyone um, who's trying to get out during that time frame, go early. Mm -hmm. <laughs> be willi willing to you know, wait on a, on a line for a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. But it will be uh, worth it because to be out there on the, you know, the smoking sands, but having the water that you can take a dip in, it'll oh, be absolutely. nice and nice and warm and beautiful. Now, as far as the opening of park season, I believe they opened for the season Memorial Day weekend. And from what I remember, Memorial Day weekend wasn't that sunny, wasn't that bright. No. I think it rained all weekend. And it, I, you, it had was, for, you had to feel bad for the people that were camping at Hammonasset or camping for the weekend. It's like, uh, rain all weekend? No, yeah, no, I'm good. You're right. No, that was not a very auspicious opening to the season. <laughs> oh. But, you know, it also is like, you know, I, I guess I tend to be an optimist. So when things are, um, you know, rainy like that, you, it's, you know, you get to look up and uh, in a better direction <laughs> right. when you start at the very bottom. Right. Uh, but really, since that weekend, um, you know, most of the weekends since then have been pretty nice. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, people have been getting out to parks uh, and campgrounds, again, at, at record high numbers. Um, and it's just a wonderful thing to see. After all of the craziness of this last year, to see mm -hmm. things starting to return to normal again is really exciting. Absolutely. Eric, would you mind sticking, sticking around for another segment? Oh, I'd be happy to. All right, we'll be right back. Myth. If you get COVID-19, you'll recover after a few days. That myth is false. We're only just beginning to understand the effects of COVID-19 on the human body. As we're starting to see more and more people identifying as long haulers who are having symptoms for weeks, if not months, after their initial infection. Continue to wear a mask, socially distance, and wash your hands. Together, we can keep COVID out of school. For ways to keep your community safe, go to backtoschooltogether.com. Hey, Bobo, do trees tell each other stories? I'm sorry, I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, why don't we go find out? Listen. Do clouds take naps? I couldn't tell you. Dad, do stars visit their friends? Look! Welcome back to this week's edition of the Pete Mazzetti Show. I'm Pete Mazzetti sitting here with Eric Hammerling from the Connecticut Forest and Park Association. My friend, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so we're going to open up this segment talking about trails. All right, let's do it. Let's, where do you want to start? Well, um, you know, I, I can tell you that there are um, a lot of miles of trail that will need tending to this year. Um, despite our best efforts, okay. there will be storms. There right. will be trees that fall. Mm -hmm. There will be um, bridges that need tending to to make sure they stay safe. Um, and I, I just want to once again, you know, give you know huge thanks to. I mean, now we're fortunate we have three staff at CFPA mm -hmm. who are focused on nothing but trails. We right. we have some, you know, Claire who you've met, right. who has oversight over the entire trail system and all the partnerships that yeah. we have with various. Um, organizations and individuals and the state uh, and towns who help to maintain and uh, sure. keep trails open. We have uh, Alex Bradley who um, is working with crews. Right now he has a, a summer trail crew of five who are working with him out in the field. 
Um, and he also uh, works with different groups that are interested in having kind of special work parties to um, protect trails. Um, and Jeb Stevens is our, our newest trails staff person, and he's doing a, a kind of a new thing, which uh, we've known has been an issue for a long, long time, but okay. we just haven't been able to invest in it uh, with a focused effort. And that is to try to protect trails, actually acquire land uh, to ensure that trails stay connected. Okay. Um, if you think about the 825 miles of Blue Blaze hiking trails that right. go you know, all around the state, 96 different towns, um, it, they go through a combination of private land, municipal land, state land, um, and there are always uh, connections that get broken in that system, in particular on you know, private land. Now, we're, we're very fortunate, uh, almost 45% uh, of the trails are on private land, mm -hmm. you know, and we have wonderful landowners who are willing to be hosts of trails who say, sure, you know, I don't mind if there's a trail that goes through, you know, the, my back lot. Right. Um, but there are, at times, a new landowner who right. acquires, you know, a, um, a property and right. they say, wait, there's a trail going through my back lot? I'm not sure I want to have that there. Yeah, right. When that happens, um, we have to, first of all, respond okay. uh, directly with a landowner and hopefully uh, say, well, here's all the good things that come from having a trail uh, be right. in, in your back lot. Absolutely. Or um, we get to a point where we're like, well, maybe we can make an offer um, and help to protect that property. Mm -hmm. um, and here are the various things that we could do together. So Jeb is gonna be responsible for having those conversations with landowners to really keep trails connected um, and we'll work on that effort, which is really exciting. It's a little bit daunting because it's, you know, almost 400 miles of trail. Right. Um, it's rare that a landowner has more than, you know, a quarter of a mile of trail on their property. So if you think about it, that's a lot of landowners mm -hmm. um, and a big long-term effort, oh, yeah. but one that's well worth it. Absolutely. So, so yeah. So it's there's we have an exciting team, and then they get to work with some of the most amazing volunteers on the planet. Uh -huh. um, it, you know, we have right now about 115 uh, trail managers who are volunteers, and oh. they have said this is a section of trail that I want to be dedicated to help protecting. Um, I will go out and make sure those blazes are perfect on the trees. Right. I will make sure that um, you know we're keeping vegetation off the trail so that people don't have to wade through um, you know grass. I, we will make sure that there is a bridge that goes over water features so mm -hmm. that people are not going to get their feet wet as they're walking through the blue blazed hiking trails. So these amazing volunteers are incredibly dedicated to sections of trail and we work, work with them to ensure that this section of trail and this section of trail and this section of trail uh, leads to a great experience outdoors. Oh, um, cool. And we make sure that you know if they need tools and training and equipment and you know all that uh, we help to put together projects throughout the year mm -hmm. uh, to make sure those places stay connected and open for the public. Uh, it's, a, it's a big, big task because there are so many miles. Um, but you know that's that's why we do what we do. We love to um, not only uh, make trails available for others. We like to use use trails ourselves. So um, we we you know I, I can say we we get something from this too. 
um, not only the, the great feeling of we have done a service for the community for making these places available, mm -hmm. but also we get to go for a nice walk ourselves. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Now, once the season is over, what do they? What do you guys do to make sure the upkeep of the trails? still continues. So you make an assumption, my friend, that the season is ever over. Uh, <laughs> there are, well, and, and of course there are some places that, um, you know, once the snow flies, um, right. there, you know, people are not going to be accessing certain areas, but a lot right. of the trails are open year round really? um, and people will, it's in some areas, you know, cross country ski or snowshoe mm -hmm. or, you know, otherwise use the trails. So it's figuring out, yeah, what the timing is of maintaining them to uh, ensure that they stay open for as long as possible. Every year during the winter, spring, uh, or when there are you know hurricanes or things like that that pop right. up, right. Um, we need to respond. So yeah. um, we, you know, uh, uh, on our website, which is ctwoodlands.org, uh, we have an interactive trails map and right. the ability for if someone is out using the trail and they want to a problem you know they come to a, a tree that's down across the trail there's a form that people can fill out we share that information with our uh, trails uh, uh, managers and ensure that those places are, are remedied so it's a you know throughout the year making sure we take care of those special places what types of information can people find on your website so um, in addition to um, you know all the information about uh, you know we have this uh, interactive trails map that's mm -hmm. Uh, become a very popular item. Uh, you can see where all of the Blue Blazed hiking trails are. Okay. You can get driving directions to all of the trailheads throughout the system. Really? And you can even find information out about how many parking spots are available in different places. Now, not live information. You can't say there's only, you know, there are three spots and two are available. We can't, we're not that good. And we're good, but we're not <laughs> yeah. that good yet. Uh, but we can at least say that this is a place that has, you know, 25 spots. This is a place that has three spots so people can plan accordingly right. as they go out to, to explore. And I think there's even a picture of Pete Mazzetti on the website. <laughs> yes. I think. There, there is. should be. There is for sure. We, we try to recognize our volunteers <laughs> um, appropriately. You know, and that's actually one of the things that we're uh, looking forward to, Pete, oh. once again. You know, uh, every year, yes. uh, the first Friday in November is when we have our annual meeting and recognition event for volunteers. Okay. We got to make sure that you're there this year uh, to no. be able to uh, say thank you. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, let me know. And now, have you guys opened your office to the public, or are you guys still closed. Last time you and I were together, you were working from home and you were only going into going into the office, but you had somebody else going into the office more yep. accurate, more than you did just to like make sure the upkeep is okay. Right. So we now are mostly all coming back to the office. Okay. Not every day. Uh, you know, still people are working from home right. uh, somewhat to keep uh, you know, well distanced, et cetera, but everyone is uh, fully vaccinated. Right. Um, and we are, uh, we will be opening our community room uh, up to public use uh, once again, starting in October. Mm. Um, in terms of our office space, we are using that right now uh, oh. amongst, m amongst most of us. 
and are starting to return to normal. The only reason we're not opening our community space until October is we have a number of trails crews that right. over the course of the year um, are gonna be working with us and yep. we'll be using that space. Um, so we didn't wanna disrupt uh, all of the people. So if you can imagine very serious focused uh, meeting happening in the space and all of a sudden here come you know, five uh, trails crew members ripe from the field. Oh. Um, we, we didn't want to set up those kinds of situations. Oh, no. <laughs> right? Uh, shaking hands, uh, spreading poison ivy as they yeah, go. Yeah, no. It just was not going to work out that way. And we have actually a few, uh, you know, every year we'll have AmeriCorps um, have a okay. crew with us. Uh, this year we're going to be working with a, a group out of Massachusetts uh, called TerraCorps who for the first year is having um, interns doing work in Connecticut. Uh, and so, yeah, it's gonna be a very busy year. Now, you guys also work with Mason Turnbull from DEP. Yeah, Mason is a, is a friend, someone yeah. who we, we knew when he worked at uh, REI before coming to DEEP, but he's been an amazing uh, deputy commissioner yeah. uh, at the agency. He's responsible for kind of parks and forests and uh, fish and wildlife uh, type outdoor recreation. Um, and he brings a spirit uh, and energy. And, and I've got to say, it's kind of nice too, um, having come from outside of state service to be focusing on ways to make the, the state uh, be even better at doing what it does. Um, so yeah, Mason's been terrific. And he also has, uh, and I particularly appreciate this, he has a, a soft spot for trails. Oh, um, does he? Because he is a, a trail user and, right. and knows what an important part, not only of uh, you know recreation and fitness, but mental health, but economic health uh, really revolves around people getting outdoors and being um, active on trails. That's, he saw from when he was at REI what a big impact on the economy comes from people who are getting ready for outdoor recreation. Now what is REI? So REI is a, uh, it's a business, it's a co-op. Uh, they actually are based in Seattle, but they have three stores in Connecticut, oh. um, and they sell outdoor recreation oh, equipment. Outdoor and okay. yeah, 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 okay. So they're, they are dedicated to the outdoors, and, um, and actually the, the new uh, chief of staff at uh, DEEP also previously worked at REI, so I'm, I'm really pleased to see how involved they are with how our state's uh, Energy and Environmental Protection Department is run. Who's the new chief of staff at DEEP? Uh, Andrew Hoskins okay. is his name. Uh, and he lives in uh, Washington, Connecticut with his family. He's, uh, he also loves trails, uh, loves people getting outdoors, and wanted to, you know, I think came to working at DEEP out of a sense of service for the state and wanting to make sure that it does its business as well as it can. So, uh, we, you know, we're wishing him a, a lot of luck because, in, you know, like I mentioned, this big issue of retirements mm -hmm. uh, coming up and the issue of making sure seasonal workers are, are well paid, et, et cetera. A lot of those things as chief of staff, uh, he will be engaged in uh, and it's going to be a challenge, but we know he's up for the job. Absolutely, absolutely. What else, what else are you guys up to? What else do you want to talk about? We got some time. Well, I, I can say that uh, one of the areas where I'm going to be focusing a lot of my attention over the next several months is on uh, the health of our state's forests. Right. Um, and 
one of the things that um, I did during the, the pandemic um, was I was fortunate to chair the uh, forest subgroup, which is a, a part of uh, the Governor's Council on Climate Change, sure. which was really focused on the important role that forests play in climate. Uh, and as you are probably aware, uh, you know, f the more carbon that is in our forests means less carbon in the atmosphere, right? right? So the more carbon can be in forests and s soils means we're gonna have less problems associated with climate change. So we wanna make sure our forests are healthy. Um, and there are a lot of challenges to keeping our forests healthy because unfortunately climate change itself is impacting the health of our forests. So right. it's like a, that kind of cycle too. Um, but we're gonna be working this next year um, to come up with hopefully a way for Connecticut to become a no net loss of forest state. Um, there are two states in the nation right now okay. uh, that are no net loss of forest states. Um, states of Maryland and New Jersey. Um, both of those states have found a way to really slow the loss of forest land in their states by becoming a no net loss of forest state. Similar to, you might have heard that uh, no net loss uh, terminology used with wetlands, right? right? No net loss of wetlands. Well, if we're no net loss of forest, that means that um, we do everything we can to avoid the loss of forests. Right. And in s certain situations where forests are uh, lost uh, in ways that are permitted by uh, the state or by uh, municipal governments, we figure out a way to compensate right. um, to have new forests for the future. So it's. Um, there's going to be a lot of work done in that area. I, I, I hope I'm explaining it in an okay oh, way. Oh, absolutely, but, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but we are uh, excited about the potential to protect forests in Connecticut. Now let's talk about the no net loss of forest states, the way everything works, and maybe get into a little bit more detail. Sure. So um, you know, in so if you think about um, how forests are often lost. Mm -hmm. It's actually not in situations where you have, um, you know, forests that are managed for sustainably for forest products or, um, but because in that situation there may be wood coming out of the forest, mm -hmm. but it's being maintained as a forest. The biggest concern for us is when forests are lost. Essentially, a forest gets converted to. Right. A parking lot, or uh, you know, um, a, a new development, um, and there's nothing done to c help compensate for the lost carbon storage that uh, goes away when a forest is lost. Right. So we, that is what the trick will be: is uh, in those instances where a forest and lost where forested lands are converted to right. a, a parking lot or to a developed area, how can we ensure that we're protecting in other parts of Connecticut or nearby mm -hmm. uh, where forest land is lost, how can we make sure that other forests are protected? So uh, on balance, we will, over time, get to a place where we're replacing the carbon storage that was lost. Right. Um, it's. And what they've done in Maryland and New Jersey is they found by, by being a no net loss of forest state in both instances, um, they have started turning the corner on some of their biggest problems with uh, not having adequate forest in certain areas. So for example, in Connecticut, 
um, one of the areas where we see the greatest imbalance between uh, haves and have-nots mm -hmm. is in our, our urban areas. Forests uh, in our urban areas tend to be in the wealthier, whiter neighborhoods. Uh, in uh, neighborhoods that are less wealthy with higher percentages of people of color, that tends to be areas where there is less forest cover. That becomes a really important uh, situation because if you think about all of the values that trees provide in cities, right? Cleaner air, less problems with asthma. Mm -hmm. um, you have heat that is avoided when you have more trees that are providing shade. Sure. Trees soak up floodwaters to reduce problems with flooding. Right. And if those problems are in areas that have less trees, well, we need to make sure there are more trees right. in the areas that right now don't have uh, enough trees to provide those benefits. So in uh, New Jersey, in Maryland, uh, that's one of the things that they've been able to do with their no net loss of forest policy is to generate support to make sure that those areas that right now don't have forests have more trees that are planted and maintained and protected into the future, and that's something that I think we should all aspire for. Absolutely, absolutely. And let's talk about climate change. Yeah, well, I mean, it is it is here, It's and yes. it's easy to say it on a hot day like today. Uh, yeah. uh, it feels like 100 plus. Um, <laughs> right. But, you know, climate change is here, and I think we, we all uh, feel the urgency of trying to do something about it. Right. Um, you know, what our state is trying to do is to make some pretty significant changes uh, related to climate change mm -hmm. before 2030. The year 2030 is uh, being looked at across the country as if we don't make some significant changes uh, related to climate by then, right. we're, we're in trouble. Yeah. Uh, and not just us, but future generations are in trouble. Mm -hmm. So the more that we can do uh, between now and 2030 to protect our forests, mm -hmm. to protect uh, the outdoors, keep them, I mean, obviously there are things about protecting the outdoors that have nothing to do with climate, right? right? These are places that we love to go for recreation, for uh, mental health. Um, that doesn't have to do with anything to do with climate, no. but there are benefits um, that accrue to uh, doing a better job of uh, sequestering uh, climate uh, causing uh, gases, greenhouse gases. Um, the more we can have uh, protected land to soak up carbon, the better off we're going to be in the future. So uh, there's at the national level, uh, you've probably heard of the 30 by 30 yep. initiative. That's one way to try to protect more land um, so that we have fewer problems with climate change. Um, and we're trying to play a really productive role in that. Now, what about, I didn't know that you guys were also instrumental with the land trust. Oh yes, so we, we are actually uh, a statewide land trust. We, we have about uh, 2,000 acres of property that we're responsible for in various uh, towns around the state. Uh, because we've been around for 126 years, th that's how some of these um, land holdings uh, happened. Okay. 
if there were at the time uh, that someone wanted to donate their forest to be protected as a forest forever, if there were a local land trust available at the time, mm -hmm. that might have been where they um, gave their gift of land. But we have collected these um, about 20 easements, meaning land that we're responsible to protect through right. time. Um, and land that we own, that we manage for uh, public benefit. Um, so yeah, so we are a land trust. And there are uh, actually more land trusts than almost any other state in the nation. We're actually number three in the country in terms of the number of land trusts that we have in Connecticut. Really? So California is number one. Massachusetts is number two. We're number but three. we're number three. There you go. Um, and, and it's because people care about the outdoors, right. care about having access to land that's going to be protected forever, uh, and that's what we as a land trust and other land trusts do. How many land trusts are there in the state of Connecticut? There are actually, right now, about 137, I think is the latest figure. All right. But if you think about how amazing that is, right, we have 169 towns. Right. 137 land trusts. <laughs> that means uh, that's pretty you know, good. Towns are, you know, are really interested um, in protecting uh, property. I wish, honestly, mm -hmm. there were a few fewer land trusts and a few regional groups that were, you know, it might be um, even more impactful at protecting land if we weren't so parochial. Right. But hey, in Connecticut, we are a town-by-town -town kind of state. Oh, absolutely. So you could see where that might come from. Absolutely, absolutely. So what else are we up to in, as far as CFPA goes and where, where do you think we're going in the near distant future? So th this is always the time of year after uh, the legislative session and the special session has kind of concluded mm -hmm. that we um, do a little bit of analysis okay. and we say, so what are some things that we need to work on as, as initiatives going forward and how did things go this year? You know, th uh, um, and of course this is just in the policy realm, but you could extend this to our education programs, to our right. work on trails, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, this year we feel like things went pretty well in the budget, as, as I mentioned. You know, the passport of the parks is intact and, uh, you know, other priorities uh, kind of came through at decent levels. Funding for, uh, bond funding for the Recreational Trails and Greenways program was in the budget in the bonding bill. Um, but we still need to have the governor release those funds. So right. uh, we have some money authorized that need to needs to be released. Um, and one of the things that um, we hoped to do this year but weren't able to get a lot of traction on it um, and we hope will become uh, a, a priority this next year mm -hmm. um, is to help find a way, because I, I mentioned to you that uh, about 45% of the Blue Blaze hiking trails are on private land. Right. We would love to find some incentives for private landowners to help them right. uh, keep that land open and even go one step further to um, make a commitment to long-term protection mm -hmm. of those uh, trails. So there are a couple different incentives that we've worked on through the legislative session that we'll continue working on uh, and hopefully this next year we'll be able to offer something that will help to protect trails for the long term um, through, f for example, mm -hmm. um, you know, if someone puts an easement on the trail that goes through their, their property, right. it helps with their, uh, 
their uh, local taxes that they're paying. It yes. reduces their bill a little bit because they've said, well, here's a, a trail through my property that I'm never going to develop. So right. they should pay less in taxes. Right. Well, uh, we would say if they make that forever um, commitment right. to have a trail go through their property, they shouldn't have to pay taxes on that section of trail on their property forever. Right. Let's meet the landowners where they are. If they're willing to say forever I will do this and put it in an, an easement, we should at the municipal level say, okay, and we're go going to reward you by not charging taxes on that section of trail. Exactly. Now, right now under the law, you can't do that. Right. Um, and we would love to enable something like that to be mm -hmm. um, a way to say thank you to Absolutely. landowners who are so community-minded that they're willing to make that permanent uh, commitment to keeping a trail open. Absolutely, absolutely. You guys, you guys are a very busy organization. We are. <laughs> we are. We're. We're. Uh, you know, we have eight uh, staff, but we all wear many hats, right. like uh, you might imagine, as oh, yeah. uh, as many nonprofits do. And um, but yeah, we're we're busy because people are really excited about the outdoors. Want. Uh, leadership and support in helping to do good things, and yeah, that's what we do. Absolutely, absolutely. We got about a little bit more time left. So, what else we want to mention real quick? Well, I, I would just encourage people who are interested in getting involved as a volunteer to to think about right. doing that with the Connecticut Forest and Park Association. Absolutely. You know, I, I mentioned the trail volunteers um, who are committed to a section of trail for a long period of time. There are often opportunities to become a trail volunteer and, um, you know, focus on one section of trail. But even more often throughout the year, we'll have work parties um, yeah. where, um, you know, a, a few trees were knocked down in a certain area from a storm. We would love some people to come out and help to reopen right. that area or to work to build a bridge or to do those types of things. We will have uh, more and more public work parties um, advertised on our, our website. Okay. As things continue opening up, let's hope. Yeah, this, oh, this all continues. <laughs> yes, please. Um, but, you know, and also if people are interested in volunteering with us in other ways, um, you know, we're always trying to be creative to find a, a match between someone's passion uh, and what we do. And when we can find that, uh, everybody wins. Eric Hammerling from the Connecticut Forest Park Association. Thanks for some time. Hopefully we'll see you again soon, my friend. All right, I look forward to that. You Thanks, Pete. It. Thanks, Eric. On behalf of Eric Hammerling, I'm Pete Musetti. Thanks, good night, and we'll see you next time.